0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us. So be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 14. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now, with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: Oh, my goodness. Are you going to find this chapter interesting tonight? Get your pen, get your pad. And uh, we kind of turn and twist and turn and go up and go down. And it's a really interesting chapter. I guess that's about all I can say about that. It's really, really interesting. Okay. So you know, if you've been with us, that Second Samuel divides itself, and if you don't have this written down, you have to write this down because this helps you to frame the book, okay? Second Samuel divides nicely into three main sections. Chapters 1 through 10, we find David's triumphs. We find David's triumphs. In chapters 11 through 12, we find David's trials. Y'all keep up with me. In chapters 13 through 24, we find David's troubles, David's triumphs, David's trials, And David's troubles. That's the entire book. Second Samuel is a book about David. It's a book about David's forty-year reign as king. Second Samuel chapter five, verse seven tells us that David reigned seven and a half years in Hebron and thirty-three years in Jerusalem. Now, if you've been with us, you know the royal family is royally becoming unraveled. David had an affair in chapter. 11, David had an affair, thank you. David had an affair with Bathsheba, who was married, you know that. And Nathan the prophet, actually in then chapter 12, Nathan the prophet comes to David And he prophesies concerning David's sin. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 12, right about verse 10. I want you to look at verse 10. Because that verse is kind of hinging on all that we're going to talk about tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 10. And 2 Samuel 12 verse 10 says, Now therefore the sword shall, what saints, never depart from your house. Because you have despised me, God said to David, through Nathan, because you've despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. The sword shall never depart from your home. And true enough, since the sin with Bathsheba, there's been nothing but trouble. There was a child conceived by David and Bathsheba that died soon after being born. Uh, Chapter 13, I was going to say last time, but it was actually last time before that. Chapter 13, uh, early on in chapter 13, we know that David's son, Amnon raped his half sister Tamar. Absalom, their brother, was angry for two years, and David, their father, didn't do anything about it. And that made Absalom even more angry. And why didn't David do anything? Because David, listen, was paralyzed, and we talked about this. David was paralyzed or crippled by his own compromise and by his own sin. We talked about that, and I encouraged you, and I, and I, I'll, I'll, Belabor this point with you again tonight. Uh, Parents, don't allow your past to cripple you from standing on the truth of God's word for your children. Don't allow that to happen. And sometimes I think that we think that we have to be perfect in an area in order to instruct our children in that particular area. So, you know, you say to your child, uh, or your young teen, you know it 's not good to be don 't get pregnant wait until you get married and and you know go that 's not a good thing and it won 't go well for you and perhaps maybe when you were seventeen sixteen seventeen eighteen, maybe you you got pregnant, and you made that mistake and so because you made that mistake. Some Satan, the enemy, will use that mistake that you made to silence you from telling your child, don't you make that mistake. Are y'all with me tonight? So don't, don't allow the enemy to, to, to use your past to cripple you from standing on the truth of the word of God and using the standard of the word of God To lead and guide your family in the future. God's word is perfect. Can two people say amen? And it's right. And even if sometimes we don't follow it, the standard of the word of God and the truth of the word of God is true regardless whether we live it or we don't perfectly. And David doesn't stand on God's word. David doesn't say or do anything because he's crippled by his own sin and by his own failure. I want you to look at um, chapter 13 and write about verse 23. Look at chapter 13 right about uh, verse 23. Uh, it's sheep cheering time. We talked about that. That's a time of festivity and a time of celebration. And everybody is invited to eat lamb chops and enjoy. And Absalom invites David and all the servants to the party and, and, and Ammon to the party as well. And Absalom tells his servants, when Ammon is drunk, strike him and kill him. And the servants did exactly what they were asked to do. They killed Ammon and the prophecy of Nathan, the sword shall never depart from your house, is being fulfilled right there. Absalom is branded and banished as a murderer. And Absalom runs to his grandfather, his mother's father, Talmei. David mourns for Ammon Every day for three years. David is really sad because at this point he has suffered a great loss of two sons and one daughter. Absalom is gone out of his life. Ammon is dead. And Tamar is ruined. She had been raped. And all of this is the result of one moment of sin in the life of David and Bathsheba. And what we have to ask ourselves is, Is whatever it is we are planning to do worth what we will have to pay in terms of, you know, repayment and recompense sin? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Was it worth it for David for that one moment of sin with Bathsheba for the sword to never depart from his house? never God didn't say 10 years and then I let up on you God said never now let me tell you something in the Greek language never means never you got it y'all are so smart you as kind and you as important never means never Was it worth it? I always say sin will take you further than you want to go, you'll stay longer than you want to stay, and you'll pay more than you want to pay. And that is very, very true. You got to wonder if David wondered, was it worth it? Well, let's jump right in. Chapter 14, I've titled this sermon The Return of Absalom. You'll know why in just a second. Second Samuel chapter fourteen saints, we're picking up in verse one. Second Samuel chapter fourteen, verse one, if you're looking at it, say amen. So Joab, the son of Zorah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Solomon. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel and do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning for a long time for the dead. And go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. And then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, remember, Joy, I put these words in her mouth. She answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in a field, and there was no one to part them, but the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, deliver him who struck his brother that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed, and we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my ember that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. And then the king said to the woman, go to your house, I'm going to give orders concerning you. Listen, I want you to stop right there. Just stop right there for a minute. David, let me just kind of get you caught up. David is obviously troubled that he and Absalom haven't spoken in years. Absalom has been gone for three years and David hasn't spoken to Absalom in years and it was written all over David's face. Um, You know, when you're around people a lot, uh, you get to know them. You know when they're happy, you know when they're sad, you know when there's something on their mind, you know when something's not right. Uh, you know, like husbands, your wife, for example. You know, she comes in and, and, and you say, uh, she may have a look on her face, and you say, honey, what's wrong? And women are good at it. Women, women are good at it. They, women got a certain look and you go, honey, what, what's wrong? And they go, nothing. Nothing Now If you've been been married I've been married 33 years Okay When when, when something's wrong I know what that look looks like Okay You can say nothing all day But I know there's something So honey what's wrong Nothing I know something wrong Women love to say nothing When, When they say nothing Fellas listen Write this down When they say nothing That means something Okay Write that down Nothing equals something Okay, nothing equals up. When they say nothing, that means something. So you get to know people, you hang around people, you get to know them. So commander, chief, commander in chief uh, Joab, he knew David well enough and he knows something's wrong. So Joab decided to, back up in verse 1 and 2, Joab decided to do something to bring David and Absalom together. And I really believe that Joab loved David. And he was loyal to David, flaws and all, in spite of David's humanity. Joab knew all about it. He loved David. You know, it's a a special person who can see your flaws. And especially, watch this, especially someone who is in leadership, that that person can see their flaws and still love them. And still be loyal to them and still serve them. Joab knew what happened with Bathsheba and David. Matter of fact, Joab was the one, remember, who who was at the forefront of the battle, who was to put Uriah in the heat of the battle so that Uriah could be killed. So Joab knew exactly what was going on. David and Joab had a very special relationship. And David loved Joab and Joab loved David, flaws and all, and he was still able to serve him and love him and respect him. So Joab perceived that David's heart is heavy for Absalom. David's heart is probably paralyzed by shame of one bad decision after another. And now, as I mentioned, he has one son dead, another is gone, and a daughter who's been raped. Now, Joab in verse 2 decided to soften David's heart toward Absalom by bringing a widow woman before him, With a similar story of estrangement from her son. Joab told the woman of Tekoa to put on mourner's clothes. Y'all follow me? And pretend to be mourning and act like you've been mourning for the dead for a long time. Joab told her to go to the king. And these are the words you're to say. Look at verse 5. King, I'm a widow. My husband is dead and I have two sons. And the boys got into a fight and one hit the other and killed him. And now in verse 7, the whole family is against me and they want me to give up the boy who killed his brother so they can kill him and avenge his death. And they want to kill my last son, the heir. So this woman has one more son and they want to kill him. And if they do that, she says, my husband won't have a namesake on the earth. The woman says, I'm going to, not going to have any family Nobody to carry my name. Now Joab knew again about the sin with Bathsheba and he knew about Nathan telling David about the traveler with the ewe lamb. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. The traveler with the ewe lamb and the man with the many lambs who took the one little ewe lamb. You know the story. And David said, the man that has taken that one little ewe lamb shall surely be put to death. Joab knew that story. And he recreates the same kind of story for the woman to tell the king. So the woman tells the story to David right about verse 8. Now look at verse 8. Then the king said to the woman, go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the, the king, my lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house and the king and his throne be guiltless. And so the king said, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me and he shall not touch you anymore. And then she said, please let the king remember the Lord your God and do not permit the avenger of blood, underline that, to destroy anymore, lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Therefore, the woman said, please let your maidservant speak another word to my Lord the king. And he said, say on. And so the woman said in verse 13, here's where you pick it up, look. Why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty in that the king does not bring his banished one home again. For we surely die, I love verse 14. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, Which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life. But he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. I'll explain. Now therefore, I have come to speak of this thing to my lord the king. Because the people have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of the maidservant. For the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. Your maidservant said, the word of my Lord, the king, will now be comforting. For as the angel of God, so is my Lord, the king, in discerning good and evil. And may the Lord, your God, be with you. Now stop right there. This woman tells David the story and David's heart is probably touched because he has two sons and their situations, did y'all pick that up, are similar. David said, go to your house and I'll take care of it. The woman said, no, king, if you do this, then you'll be guilty. Let it be done or let it be on me. And David said, I'm the king. And if anybody has anything to say, bring them to me. Well, then in verse 11, she said, please, king, remember the Lord your God and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, or they'll destroy my only son. Now, listen, I think we talked about this two studies ago in the ancient culture. If you murdered someone intentionally, the closest relative had the responsibility to hunt you down and kill you. Amen. He said, yep. I'm like, yep, yep, that's right. If the murderer or the murderer was unintentional, then you could run to the city of ref- refuge or one of the six cities of refuge in Numbers 35 9 through something, talks about the six cities of refuge. The city of refuge was a safe place, a protective place, until the case could be heard in a proper court and determined guilty or innocent. So the woman said, king, the avenger of blood are already looking for them, please stop them before they kill my son. Well, in verse 11, as the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground, David said. This is exactly what Joab and the woman wanted to hear. Because David is guaranteeing safety at the expense of justice. David is putting safety over the law of God, but he's the king. Keep in mind, when Nathan came to David with the story about the little ewe lamb, David wanted justice. David said, the man that has stole that little ewe lamb, taken that little ewe lamb, shall be surely put to death, which wasn't fair. Because the law said, if you stole, you're to repay fourfold. David said, he shall surely be put to death and he shall pay fourfold. But David said, look, he's going to pay fourfold and kill him. That's a little harsh. David fully believed this woman, and their, and their stories are so similar. David is emotionally involved here, so he totally believed her. For he engaged and he involved. He's so involved in this story for many reasons. One, she's old. You wouldn't think a nice old lady would lie. Amen. She was a widow. She had on mourning clothes, which kind of heightened the drama. She lived a distance from Jerusalem, so David couldn't really verify the facts of her case. So she got David wrapped around her old finger. While she has a detention, she says, uh, one more thing. Verse 12. She said, why, verse 13, have you schemed against God's people? Because right now you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. You are guilty in that you won't bring your own son home. She said, King David, you're being hypocritical. What about Absalom, your own son, who is banished from his home? Here you are offering my son clemency, who is guilty of murder, and you're refusing to give your own son clemency and bring him home. She says, King, Absalom is the heir to the throne, and if you don't do this right, it's going to affect the whole nation. This is the point that Joab wanted to get across to the king. And I don't know, listen, in verse 14, was the woman's thoughts... Or was it Joab's thought? Uh, We do know it was the Holy Spirit's thought because we have it here in the scripture. Verse 14 is, I said I like this. I said I like that scripture. Verse 14 is profound. It's profound. Look at it. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Now, several things to learn from this one verse. First of all, she says, for we will surely die if God tarries, we will die. That's a fact. We will all die. Someday, we're all gonna die. Death is a part of life. And that's hard to accept. It really is. Um, It's hard to accept, I mean, you know, I, I, I told you, I, I visit with babies coming into the world. Mommy just had a baby. I go to the hospital to pray for the baby. And you got to think, the first breath the baby takes, he breathes in life. The next breath the baby takes, he breathes in death. He's on his way to death. Death is a part of life. This woman said, for we will surely die. Then she also said, we are as water spilled on the ground that can never be recaptured. Now that is an incredibly profound statement. She said, David, everybody dies. This woman is a wise woman because she's speaking of, you got your pen? She's speaking of the urgency of reconciliation. The urgency of reconciliation, in other words, everybody's going to die someday and you don't want them to die and not having said what needed to be said or treated them in a way that you would regret. Let me tell you something, I can always tell when someone passes and Someone is crying, sobbing uncontrollably. We, I don't know if we've all been a funerals like that, but I have. Where people are literally trying to get in the coffin. You've been a few. No, you ain't leaving me. No, you ain't going. I'm going with you. I'm going with you. They're Trying to get in the coffin and can you us. And it's like, wow. You know what that is? That is regret. That is an individual that has said something or done something or treated that person in a way that they now regret. And because that person has died and they can't have an opportunity to talk to them, they can't have an opportunity to take it back. That person is now grieving beyond being controlled. That's what that is. That person is living in regret. That's why Jesus said in Matthew eighteen fifteen. Jesus said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his sin, his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you've gained your brother. The woman is saying, David, when you die, there's no do-overs. There's no opportunity to regather and redo the things that have been done or undo some things that have been done. Where y'all at tonight? Or undo some things that have been done. There's no opportunity for that. There's no, the death ends the opportunity. Death ends the opportunity of showing kindness and and showing grace and showing forgiveness and love. And it ends the opportunity to say things that need to be said. Listen, let me tell you, let me be the first to tell you, it is important to treat people the way you want to be treated. What do kids say? Real talk? Real talk. It is important to treat people the way you want to be treated because when they die, all the things that you could have said but you didn't say come back like a flood and you wish you could have a do-over. It's important to treat people kindly. Honestly, I've always said this. I've said this to my wife and, and to my children. I don't want to live my life with regrets. I do not want to be the old guy. I thought I was going to be the old guy on the porch with the big afro and and just sitting there like old and like just whatever. But I'm not going to have the afro, but I will be the old guy probably, Lord Terry.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time.